between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this mass movement, destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow, it is we, mass movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Hello boys and girls, and boy oh boy, do we have a humdinger of a show for you today. We've got The Drowns, Tess and the Details, and Scream, all in one show, with all members of the bands talking about their new records. So, without further ado, let's start off by speaking to Aaron Rev from The Drowns about his, his band's new record, Blacked Out, which has just been released by Pirates Press. So, take it away, Aaron. Hey. There he is again. <laughs> how hey, you? how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good, dude. Good, yeah. good. All right. That, that, new, that new record, dude. Fuck me, is it good? Ah, thanks, man. I'm glad you like it. Thank you, dude. Because you guys have gone the extra step with this. It's it's literally like there's a there's a marked evolution in the band. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it's, it's, yeah. it's far more rock and roll than than you guys have ever done done before. It's just literally, this is Slade. This is the sweet. This was the seventies. Let's supercharge it with a bit of punk rock and go for it. Everybody have a good time. And- <laughs> oh man, I'm so, I'm so glad you like it. That's awesome. <laughs> so how do you guys feel about it now? It's out. There? Say again, sorry. How do you guys feel about it now? It's out there. So I mean, you know, we knew it was a little bit of a risk. Um, you know, we're always going to have fans who are like, you know, under tension was the best this band ever did, and like, you know. <laughs> Like, you know, there's always going to be guys who are like, uh, you know, upset that we're not going harder all the time. You know, that's, that's a, that's a, <clears throat> we don't get the comment that often, but you know, obviously I'm a fan myself. So it's like, I know that people are like, you know, uh, if you're a fan, <clears throat> if you're a fan of songs like them rats, um, maybe you wanted us to keep doing highly political, angry, like, you know, uh, very charged music, but that's just not who we are. And so we we knew that it was a bit of a risk to lean on our influences of seventies rock, like you said, Slade yeah. and the Sweet. Um, and uh, we knew it was a bit of a risk, but also if a band doesn't evolve, then they're just making the same record for you know ten years, and that ends up getting diluted. And years later, that's all anybody says is like, "Oh, well, if you've heard one re- record by that band, you've heard them all." Right. And uh, we didn't want we didn't want to be that band, so we're, we're super excited about it, man. And honestly, uh, this is just speaking for myself. Uh, this is my favorite record we've ever done. I'm I'm insanely proud of it, and I had so much fun making it. It also was the hardest record we've ever had to make. Um, it took the most out of us. Uh, we were in Los Angeles for a month making that album. We lived out of a hotel and went to the studio every single day, doing like sixteen hour days. So. It was insanely hard to make, but also, you know, it, it paid off. So for myself, I couldn't be happier. As a fan of the band, you know, I'm, I'm going to agree with you because it is definitely the best record you've made. Cause it's, it's, it's literally like the band starts on a journey. So you start playing punk rock and then, you, you know, you get songs like Hold Fast, which is showing a more melodic leaning anyway, you know, and a more sort of intuitive, personal approach to songwriting. And then you start reaching out and then, all those sort of rock and roll influences start coming in with the singles. You start 
drip feeding between albums. And then when this thing hits, it's like, oh, I like this. Oh, I like this a lot. By the third song, you're like, <laughs> I like this a hell of a lot. And by the time the album's finished, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, that piano led, led outro, oh, dude, it's so emotive. And it's like a tribute to like the Chelsea Hotel and all, all, all the things that was great about rock and roll from New York, not just punk rock, but, you know, you've you got all this, like Billy Joel's and all those kind of people who made their way up from the, from, through the barroom dives. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's someone else. It's, as, a, as an album closer, it's fucking perfect. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we're we're super excited to to fully get it out there, do the whole rollout. Um, and there's tons of songs that um, I, I'm excited to see how people react to. And and you mentioned the last song on the record. This is arguably an exclusive because you know that track's not going to be out till February, right? Uh, so, so which is fine. It's yeah, totally yeah. fine that we're talking about it. Um, but that that song specifically. Uh, you know, for those who, who don't know yet, there is a, a piano ballad at the end of the album. And it was, we were already like, so I, I should back up. A- Andy and I wrote a hundred songs for this record. We wrote a hundred songs over four months and we sent them to the producer and he gave us, you know, a yes or a no, or, you know, cr- constructive criticism on, on, you know, more on the next song we would write. And, uh, that song was the only one I didn't write with that group. We were about to go down to LA to make the album. It was three in the morning. And um, I was thinking about a buddy of mine who uh, overdosed on heroin and died a few years ago. And uh, I just, it was three in the morning and I left my bedroom and I grabbed my guitar and I, I didn't want to wake I didn't want to wake up my wife. Um, she's a nurse and works weird hours. So I didn't want to wake her up. And uh, I very quietly recorded that just the guitar and the vocals of that song into my cell phone um, and sent them to the producer. And he was like, we absolutely have to do this song. So that was the only song that wasn't written with the same chunk of songs. Right. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's really a tribute to Johnny Fenders and a lot of that, like, you know, New York rock and roll that I love. Um, But it's also a sad song about heroin, which is unfortunately still a problem. Um, in, in the music community in the United States, you know, in general, but uh, no, nah, that one, I'm glad you liked that because it was uh, that one. Also, we were a little, you know, we were like a little apprehensive about how people are going to react to having a piano ballad on the, on the album. It's a perfect, um, but, it's a perfect outro. Seriously. Uh, thank you. Thank you, man. Our, our guitar player, Simon, uh, who used to be in Wonk unit. Uh, mm. He, Simon uh, just, he just joined the band. He used to be our tour manager. And he played piano on that. And he's an incredible piano player. So it was it was cool for me just to I basically just said, Hey man, I have these chords and these lyrics and he wrote the part. So it uh yeah, I'm so happy with how it turned out. So I'm I'm really glad you like it, man. So why a nineteen seventy nine trans out? Because it's it's the wrong car, by the way. <clears throat> it's, the wrong- <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the wrong trans amp, but it's the wrong car full stop because you should be like a seventy two four four two or a nineteen 19- <laughs> GTO, why a seventy-nine Trans Am? Uh, it just—it sounded better. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with Smokey and the Bandit. No, no, I'm, I'm a, honestly, I'm a pickup truck guy myself. So. Right, T10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, I drive a, a Toyota Tacoma right now, but oh. I did used to have one. <laughs> the C10, C10 is one of the dream rides, you know, because you've got to come and put an LS6 in that, and you, you you're going forever. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I what what I 
what, what's annoying about the new records is no song by the last Starfighter on there because come on, what, <laughs> what, 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 it's, you're going to write it one day, aren't you? It's just a matter of time, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so if you put it to the uh, rest of the band, yeah, it's like, we're, 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 we we are going to write a song about Zura and, and the and the Kodama. <laughs> You know what? You know what's funny is they'd be into it. They'd be like, "Sure, let's try it." Like, <laughs> You've got to do it. Just full stop. I mean, I was I was supposed to go and see you guys last year in Blackwood, and I didn't go because the day before I literally got canned in work. My department. Oh uh, no! Yeah. Um, yeah. how did the European tour go down? The UK tour. It was awesome. I mean, it's you know. We we do well in the United States. We do really well in the UK. We do really well in in mainland Europe. Um, and it was we knew it was going to be good, and we had a ton of fun. And our buddies in Bruise Control came with us, nice. and they're amazing. Such a great band uh, from Manchester, and such good guys. Uh, so it was it was amazing, man. It's always good. And to be honest, I'm such a sucker for Greg's that <laughs> it could have been. It could have been terrible, and I still would have had a great time. <laughs> so, is it the sausage rolls, the vegan sausage rolls, or is there something else that's Greg's favorite? Uh, well, I like the vegan sausage rolls, but also, I mean, they're just their their seasonal pies are really good too. Uh, the last time, uh, man, we did it t- uh, last year. Our yeah. tour was a little bit later in the year. I think it was in like November, yeah. and they had like the Thanksgiving style like uh, bake that was really really good. <laughs> It's that the chicken bake is the best thing they do. Literally, the chicken yeah. bake is just out of this world. This is pure salt. And like, if you're hungover, that's going to get you back on your feet in no in no time at all. <laughs> I, I just I just watched the video the other day on uh, on YouTube of uh, I think it was Ryan Gosling, and they right. had him try a Greg sausage roll, and he was like, Ugh. <laughs> and he was like, I was like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, like, how dare he? I'm never going to watch another one of his films. It's like proper superfoods, though. It's like, you know, one of those things that get you back on your feet and get you motivated and get you out there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we have this, we have the same style of things in, in the U.S. You know, we have uh, in Seattle specifically, we have something called the Seattle dog, which right. when you when you explain it to people, it grosses them out. Like they don't see how it could work. But when you're hungover it's the, or when you're drunk, it's the greatest food to like uh, – kind of sober you up a little bit. It's a hot dog with uh, cream cheese and grilled onions on it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> It sounds terrible, but you know that's going to work in those most it, yeah. circumstances. I mean, everybody is apprehensive until they eat it, and then they're like, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> this is the best. Eagle scratching. Dude. So, how did the label... Look at the record when you because was it was it the record they were expecting you to deliver? Uh, you know, I don't know if we've ever given them a record that they expected. <laughs> um, but they're they're so great to us, man. Like they they they're they're open to anything. And when we you know when we sent them Lunatics the the EP before this, yeah. um, they they had questions. They were like, "Hey, is this the direction? Like, you know, what were you? What what was the?" idea here because it's a lot more rock and roll and we were totally honest with them that we were like hey this is the direction we're going this is what we believe in we think this is what our sound has become Mm. and um it's we've you know and we've been more and more inspired to write this way and we also saw you know full disclosure we saw that nobody was really doing that 
the same right now. You know, there's a, there's obviously a lot of like Bob or rock bands and stuff like that. You have bands like Wade Razors and Hard Wax and, you know, Judah and these bands who are, are very much doing that style, but nobody's doing a super punk version of that. And um, we were like, the, the, we believe in this, you know? And once we kind of said, we believe in this, this is what we want to do. Obviously they were like, yeah, of course, no worries. Because that's always their attitude with everything, you know, like they're, they believe in the artists, you know, and and they trust the artists more than any label I've ever worked with in 25 years. They allow us to, um, if we're inspired, they just allow us to follow that inspiration. So um, they were, they were totally cool about it. And then honestly, once we sent the songs to them, they, uh, they just, everybody was singing along to them in a few days. So we were like, okay, okay, we're good. (laughs) It is a, it is a good rock and roll sing along record. And that's the, you know, the songs are so immediate that by the second play, you are singing along with it. There's this no, you know what they feel like. You know what's coming, you know? Yeah. It was so good to hear it. Literally, I thought, well, oh, they, awesome. they're going to deliver. Are they, so the, the singles come on. Are you going to go backtrack? Are you going to backtrack and just deliver a solid punk rock record? Are you going to go, there's the, yeah, fuck you. You know, <laughs> this this is what we're going to do. And <laughs> it was a really pleasant surprise. It was just, this is what I need right now. This is the kind of music you should be producing because it's what the direction you're going in. But I guess some of all your influences. And I was wondering, you mentioned it's been a twenty. You've been doing this for twenty five years, right? Mm. That's a long time. Enough time in advance for any person to want to go. You know, why am I doing this? And do the whole middle age question your life bullshit. Like, but <laughs> do you think it's it's like the summation of the journey? Where the with point A to point B, this this is where it's taking this record. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also like um, the the guitar alone on this record was so challenging for me. Um, not just because the, I wanted to do more, uh, you know. I, I really like if you're going to do a '70s influenced record, you know, you, you the guitar is going to have to be all over it. You know, like I, I knew that, but also we we did so much guitar in one chunk. It was like. I did guitar throughout the entire recording, but the majority of it was within three days. I did about, you know, 36 hours of guitar in three days, like just nonstop. I was icing my hands every night at the hotel. Um, and our producer, Ted Hutt, who we've, we've worked with on the last three albums, um, he pushes us super hard and, you know, he wouldn't do that if he didn't know we could, we could deliver. Right. And so, he he definitely was on me super hard about everything I was doing. And I did each, each guitar solo you hear, I probably did for four hours, you know, just over and over changing little things here and there. And, um, you know, to the point to where I was insanely frustrated with every single song with him, you know, being like, why wasn't this good enough? Like what, what's like, you know, just pushing us back and forth, but that's kind of what he does. He, uh, he pushes you until you're beyond that point of self-judgment. And you just kind of live in this headspace of like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to deliver. I'm going to get it done. And uh, so there was, there was a lot of that. And uh, if it wasn't for how, you know, to toot my own horn a little bit, I guess if it wasn't for how experienced I am, that probably would have broke me because it was, it was, it was hard, really, really hard emotionally. So, um, so I, I I do think that uh, because of where all of us have, have been musically in our lives and where, you know, when you listen to under tension, we were so angry about the political climate in the United States and how people were treating each other. Um, 
And if you listen to Lunatics, it was us trying to take a breath from that. That EP was us going like, okay, well, that was really hard. That, you know, the pandemic was hard. Everything was hard. We need a little break. And then this album is us coming out of it, being able to kind of stretch our wings again as musicians and be like, okay, what do we want to do? What's the record we want to make? And so I do think that because of our experience, we all were able to finally kind of stretch our wings and go like, okay, let's make an album that we truly, truly work super hard for. We can spend a month making it and we, uh, and we can really do what we want to do to show who we are, but also like to make an album that we want to listen to, which I think that's hard to do. I think it's hard to make an album that you truly love um, and that you truly would listen to uh, because so many musicians go into the studio worrying about if it's going to sell or worrying about if someone else is going to like it, whether it's, you know, critics or record labels, shit like that. And we went into this, to the studio being like, Hey, if everybody hates it, we still love it. And that's all that matters. So no, the thing is as well, you know, with the cover of Ballroom Bless, you did guys do with Susie Moon. If nobody could see this coming. Yeah. yeah. Then, you know, th- that's like the warning shot. This is like, this is where we're going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, as covers go, it's it's a great cover. It's a good song anyway. I mean, you've got to sort of push it a little bit further. That bass tone in the break, that's someone else. And John on the vocal interplay, that works too. And it's just moving in that right direction just to make great rock and roll. And I think <clears throat> one of the things that always annoys me is when people say, oh, well, if you're in punk rock, it's liberal. But punk rock is essentially blue-collar rock and roll anyway. You know? I mean, listen, listen to The Clash. How fast right. did The Clash play? You know what I mean? Like, it's so funny <laughs> when people are like, when people say that, like, you know, and we get those comments because we're going this new direction or we've been doing it for a while. But, yeah, you know, all the punk bands I love are like mid-tempo punk bands. Like, you know, uh, I, I love the Swing and Utters. And right. the Swing and Utters are, arguably don't play very fast, you know. But like, like uh, Get Dead. Get Dead's huge. They're, they don't play fast at all. They play slow as shit <laughs> and like with not much distortion either, you know. <laughs> you know, all the Ramones were was essentially a 50s rock and roll band, giving it a little bit of speed, free cars. That's all it is. And that's all punk rock is. It's like fast rock and roll. And when you, you know, when, when you value melody more than speed, that's what you get. You get rock and roll, which is essentially what you guys have delivered. <clears throat> so I would say don't fucking worry about it because the record's great. It's time for itself. <laughs> oh, good. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> So, why haven't you covered Pinball Wars yet? Because I know what you're, I know what you're, I know that's coming at some point. It's coming. I mean, we've definitely made jokes about it. We're, uh, we're trying to figure out a way to make a music video where we're inside a pinball machine. We've been talking about that for years. So. Dude, if, if you did Pinball Wars, you could recreate the video because I would pay fucking money to see you in those boots. Yeah. Because that would be, oh, that would man. be funny, man. To be honest, I'd love I'd love to wear Elton John's outfit in that movie. <laughs> she come on stage on the old tour and just you know don't like there you go because you're playing you're playing Rebellion next year, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's your stage out for Rebellion. Come on, yeah, watch. absolutely. <laughs> well, and and we have we'd have to cover that because the, the suite is going to be there. They're at Rebellion this year, so we you know we can't play Ballroom Blitz. So. <laughs> well, there you go. That's that's the one that got everybody up and bouncing. So, mm. are you were all worried that the fan reception is going to be not what you thought it was going to be because you you mentioned this issue a little bit worried about it. What mm. are you all worried about it? 
You know, I, I wouldn't say worried, but we knew it was going to, there is going to be a bit of divisiveness, you know, right. especially among tough guys. We've, we've never been a band for tough guys, you know, like, like even with, with, you know, some of the songs off of under tension being a little bit harder. If you've seen us live once, we're the smiliest band and we're the nicest guys. And we pride ourselves in that. And we've never tried to be anything else. Right. Um, and one, one thing I think about is like a lot of those guys who, come to the shows just for hold fast and just for them rats, you know, and they, they want those like intense songs are lying to themselves too, because they love their moms and they love their wives, and, you know, and they like, they, they disguise that part of their life to act tough at a show or some shit. Um, so we've always kind of known that we weren't the band for those people. Right. And uh, that's, that's fine. You know, that that's, that's fine by all means. Like, uh, you know, I like hardcore too. I to- I totally get it, you know. I like tough guy some of the tough guy bands, but we've just never been that band. So I wouldn't say we're worried about it, but we do expect that some fans are going to um be a little like it's gonna be hard for them to understand right like why and where we're going. But on that same like it, you know, uh, up that same vein, we've also with the more rock and roll we've gone with songs like subculture rock and roll, uh with songs like that and uh, She's the Knife off of Lunatics, very like rock and roll. That one's very right. like uh, that ACDC kind of song. Um, with going that direction, we've gained a whole new crowd of fans that aren't punks. And, you know, that's like, I feel like we bridge the gap in a lot of ways of like this like rock and roll world and the punk rock world. So with that said, am I worried about the reception? No, because we've gained so many new fans that are going to love this record that aren't punks that I'm not worried if we lose a couple who were like hardcore, like fuck you for not being punk rock anymore. Like that's fine. You know, <laughs> I'm not worried about it at all. And and like I said, we're so happy with the record and we love it so much. And you know, this is going to sound egotistical, but we know it's good. And so, yeah. you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not for you. That's fine. It's totally fine and understandable. And there is a lot of arguments someone could make there that I would be like, yeah, absolutely. I understand where you're coming from, but unfortunately we love it and so we're gonna stand behind it and probably make more albums in this direction so. good good <laughs> okay i say if anyone couldn't see this coming a mile away then they then they are completely deluded because you know this, <laughs> this band has been going it and it's a it's a welcome change of pace because there, there are x amount of punk rock bands who can do the hard sound who can do this it's nice to see somebody go you know what we're going to put we're going to do what we want to do. Because you, I think it's like, with a lot of punks who reach a certain age, we we spend years butting our heads against this and that, screaming about the politically charged climate and how we can change it. Nothing ever can change it. When are we going to just go like, dude, you know what? I like having a good time. I like go. I like hanging out with my friends. I like muscle cars. <laughs> I like having a good time. And that's what this record's about. It's about celebrating the good things in life and enjoying, you know, what time you have. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you listen to the song "Blacked Out," the the you know the the first single that we dropped, right. this, the uh, you know the the album, the title track, that song is uh, it, the chorus may sound to some people like it's about getting fucked up and like you know blacking out. It's not. It's about taking a step back and realizing that in the moment that everything's good in your life, you know, because you're fucking alive, <laughs> you know, nothing beyond that. And I'm not saying people don't have bad times. I have bad times, but 
It's about in those good moments, taking a step back and realizing where you are and that you're still healthy and alive. And that's that in itself is a celebration. And so the, I used the term blacked out as a metaphor for those moments when we're not doing that, when life is just passing and we're not realizing how lucky we all are to still be here. Um, so if you listen to the verses of that, it's a bunch of goofy stories about us being on the road. It, it's these little clips about like, you know, things we've done over the last few years of, of going on the road that have, that are special to me. Some yeah. of them are hilarious. Some of them are beautiful. Um, and the last verse of that song, the, the, you could call it the bridge, but the last verse of that song is me being telling myself to calm down, take a breath and realize how lucky I am to be traveling the world with my three best friends, you know, for a living. And so that, that I think that that's, and then Jake had our drummer had the idea to name the album blacked out because that song is a celebration of us. So he was like, man, this seems perfect. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every day above, above ground is a good day. No matter how Absolutely. And yeah. it's just nice to hear someone go, let's celebrate and have a good time rather than just continually grind away at the same old stuff. Yeah. Well, there will, there will always, there will always be things to complain about. Obviously. Right. Yeah. You know, the, there's so much, especially at the moment, there's so much terrible things happening in the world. I, you know, there we're always, there's always going to be terrible things happening, but if we don't have something to celebrate, you know, it's just a downward spiral. So we have to make sure that we keep in mind that we're also still very lucky. I mean, it's like if you're on a show, right? Are we going to going to watch the news and be on a down and go to a show and then think, let's be miserable with the show. No, let's go to a show, have a good time and sing along and have fun. And that's, I think, something that's been intrinsically missing from punk rock for a long time. Because you go, you'll, you'll see a bad religion show and you always have a good time because those guys are always laughing and smiling and bouncing on stage. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'll see you guys, you're doing the same thing. You don't see the stiff little fingers, they're doing the same thing. The Cockney Rejects, they're doing the same thing. You know, and you and Cox Barrett, they're doing the same thing. Everybody's having a good time. And it doesn't matter about the tone of the message. If the message is great, the message is great. You know, just celebrate what we have. And that's what you guys are doing. That's why this fucking record is awesome. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad you like it, dude. Um, but uh, to, to touch on your, your point, yeah. right, the point you just made there, uh, there are so many bands we play with that just get on stage and they're angry, and that's the end of it. Right. That's their presence. That's their thing. And that's fine, but I can name a hundred bands that do that right off the top of my head, you know? Yeah. And and um, sometimes do I leave a show being like, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, sometimes I do. But more often than not, do I just kind of blink and that's the end of that? I'm like, you know, and that's all I think about them. Right. And I'm not, not trying to put anybody down. I like, ton, like I said, I like tons of bands that do that. But I also think it's it's becoming, at least for myself, it's becoming repetitive. It's becoming too repetitive to get on a stage and show how tough you are and walk off. That's, I mean, it's, and I just don't get it. You know, I, I don't understand it. Why are we going there? Are we going there to be more angry? Like, I don't, I don't get why the appeal to go to that show to just be pissed off. I, I don't understand it. And, um, it, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to single anybody out. I, I, if that's your thing, totally fine. This is not my thing. Right. So I'm not going to try to do that with my band. Um, instead, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to jump joke around. I'm going to, you know, have fun on stage with my buddies. I'm going to tell, I'm going to sing songs about my mom, you know, and how much <laughs> I love her. We have those, you know, yeah. I'm going to sing, sing songs about my wife and how great she is, you know, and like, 
I'm going to talk about real things and uh, none, nothing in my life. There's no real thing in my life that is about me being angry because I'm not. So I, I'm never going to do that. We're never going to do that because we're not, we're just nice guys. So we're not going to be fake. But do you think it's an age thing? It's like this, there's a, there's a Muhammad Ali quote which says, we said, you know, show me a man 50 who's the same as he's at 20 and I'll show you a man who's wasted 30 years of his life. Because <clears throat> it's, it's that evolution. And so do you think it's an age thing where you go, we reach a point, go, no, life is good. I'm going to enjoy what I have. Do you think it's... it's yep. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, man. No, you're good. Like, absolutely. It's, I think it's also just, you know, being true to yourself. You know, right. there's so many, it, well, in, I can speak, like I said, as a musician of 25 years of doing this, um, of touring, I, you know, there are a lot of people who are just fake. That's just in this industry. That's, that's who they are. And they live their lives that way. And unfortunately for them, sooner or later, they get disappointed when it all comes crashing down and it comes back to who they are. Like when the songs stop, and the music stops. Who are you? You right. know, you're you don't you don't know who you are anymore because you were this thing for so long, and then you have to go back to your normal life. And and that's you know also on the road. I know so many guys who go on the road and they are living this this thing that they are, but then they get home and that's not there, and they don't know who they are anymore, and they go crazy. You know, they they or they're on the road and they go crazy because they know they're going to be home soon. And they have to go back to their normal life. And the key to not losing your mind over that is just be your real self your entire life. You know, like be yeah. honest and authentic when you're on the road, when you're at home, always be who you are. And if you listen to our songs, we're who we are on every album. You know, that's it's we're so true to who we are and we stand behind that. And we're proud of that. And, you know, sometimes we get shit for that because we're not you know, pretending to be some, you know, group of tough assholes. It's just not who we are. So, and it never will be. So maybe if someone listens to this new album and they're like, these guys are pussies, maybe we're not the band for you. You know, like we're probably not. So, but it's so that's fine. It's going to be tiring to be a tough guy all the time. You know what I mean? You just got to be like so weird. It's just like, well, I'd rather be a pussy than a tough guy any day of the week, if I'm honest. You uh, know? Yeah. Well, and honestly, I can't even imagine like, how many situations you get into that you just regret later by, okay. by, by putting, by putting that foot forward, you know? So this, I'm going to put you on the spot because <laughs> I, I feel like I'm going to anyway. I need to. Off the new <laughs> record, if there were three songs you had to choose off it that you think sum it up perfectly, what would they be? Oh man. Um, Well, just the way she goes, one of Andy's songs, um, is such a good song about just like living your life and, uh, you know, d like using the cards you're dealt and like, you know, just enjoying life in general. So just the way she goes, I think is a good one. Uh, Chancer probably, which is a, a bit of a feisty kind of shit talking song. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a, but it, it's it, with no, with notes of class war, you know, and like, <laughs> My my issues with the upper class, um, I, I would say that. And then, oh man, it's hard. It's hard to choose just three because Blacked Out is it kind of sums up the whole album. But like you said, Born to Die in New York City is is so perfect, and it's such a um, like a dramatic uh, like end to the album. But also, uh, I love Ketamine and Cola. <laughs> I just, 
that's I a love that song. That's a proper stomper. <laughs> that's a proper goes back to glam rock stomping, you know, tune. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and so so it's it's hard to be honest. Right. Uh, there, there's so many good songs too that I like. I listen to it. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that I love this song. Uh, Wheels by Andy is really good. Um, man, yeah, I know I'm naming more than three here, but uh, it's. I just don't don't have a job. It's a hilarious song. That's like super fun. Uh, I I real quick the the story of that song. I was in a coffee shop and I heard this. Uh, there was uh two people who were young, drastically younger than me. Uh, in the coffee shop, and they were sitting two tables away from me having a conversation. And one of them is very hungover, and um, she just looks at her buddy and she goes, "Oh shit, is it Monday?" <laughs> and her buddy's like, "Yeah, it's Monday." And she's like, "Oh my gosh, like I didn't even realize." And he just goes, "You don't have a job." <laughs> and she was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine." And now I was like, I I immediately wrote down. I was like, write a song called "Don't Have a Job" about this exact situation. And so, you know, I I, I poke fun at different people and you know in my life who I love, but I poke fun at friends of mine in that song, and it all spawned out of that funny conversation where everything was okay once the girl realized she didn't have a job. She was like, "Oh, that's right, I'm fine." <laughs> so before we go, one last question. Mm-hmm. Why is the last Starfighter the greatest science fiction film ever made? Uh, it's well, there's there's so many answers to that, to be honest. And the I would say the main one is you're about to get a, a full explanation. I hope you know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's a, it, it's a great movie. It was timed perfectly. You know, it came out in 1984. Um, there, Star Wars was still making movies with models that right. had CGI put on top of the model shots for the ships and everything in space. But The Last Starfighter, they were dedicated to make the first fully CGI film with those scenes. So they were literally writing the programs to make that art, that CGI art. They were writing the programs as they were making it. And then you could look back on that and go, well, it's super cheesy. Like those scenes with the spaceships, and the gun stars and everything. Um, you could talk about how cheesy the battle scenes are and you wouldn't be wrong. But one thing to think about is not only were they making those programs as they went along, also uh, the production company dropped out in the middle of making that. And another one came in and shortened the deadline. So when they thought they were going to have two years to make that film, they ended up making it in like a few months. And so under pressure, they worked so hard and they created a movie that not only captured the hearts and minds of, of, you know, children at that time but also the idea of a true hero right so you've got a guy from a trailer park alex who can't he then one of the opening scenes is he's in this trailer park and he wants to go party with his friends and he can't because he has to stay in the trailer park and help them take care of like one of the ladies cable goes out on her trailer and he's just a nice guy who ends up being like i can't go to the lake with my friends because i have to help so that alone, I mean, there's nothing more honest than that. That's a true good person who's sacrificing for a friend of his, right? And then he gets a letter that he didn't get into the college he wanted to get into so he could finally get out of the trailer park. He didn't get it. He's screwed. He knows that in the beginning of the film that he's stuck in his trailer park for the rest of his life. So what does he do? He gets angry and he goes and he plays a video game to let off some steam, which all of us have done, right? Like, especially nerds like myself, right? It's like, if I'm frustrated, I go play pinball. But so he plays this video game. He ends up beating it for the first time ever. And 
you know, you could stop the movie there because at the end of beating the video game, he's so happy. He's content. When his girlfriend comes back from partying at the lake all day with a guy he doesn't like and he's jealous of, he still tells her about the video game and he's so proud of himself. And then at the end of that night, you know, Centauri shows up and tells him it wasn't a video game, it's a training program. And he has to go defend the entire universe against this villain. And he's the he's the only one who can do it. And so what more what what more do you want to prove to you that the hero is inside of you? You know, it's not manufactured, it's not made, it's who you are. To me, it's the truest, the truest science fiction film about a hero having to overcome everything in his life to save the people he loved. It's the best. I think it's one of the greatest underdog <laughs> stories ever written. Absolutely, man. It's so underrated. I, I love it so much. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I had somebody come up to me on this uh, last UK tour, and they were like, hey, man, um, what's that Star Wars tattoo? And I was like, Star Wars tattoo? I was like, are you talking about my knuckles? Because I have a new hope on my knuckles. And he was like, no, 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 the one on your arm. And I was like, oh, do you mean this this Rebel logo? Did you see? And he's like, no, that one. And I was like, oh, oh, you mean the last Starfighter logo? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, let me talk to you about the greatest film ever made. <laughs> Aaron, dude, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you tonight. And take it from me, that fucking that new record, it's the best you've done, you guys. Thank you, Tim. I mean, and, and thank you so much for always being so kind and always like being supportive. And, and I truly appreciate it, man. It's always fun to talk to you. Oh, dude, thank you for the music, brother. Take it yeah, easy. We'll speak, we'll speak again soon, man. Because all right, man. All right, see you later, brother. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Bye. That was Aaron from the Drowns talking about his band, The Last Starfighter, and everything in between, and their new record. Blacked Out, which has just been released by Pirates Press Records. Next up, we got Tess in the Details, a Bay Area punk rock band talking about their debut album, Runaway, which has just been released on Engineer Records. And we talk about the album and a few more things as well. So um, stick around because it's a great interview and they're an incredible band. So without further ado, here's Tess and the Details. We're um, actually going to be joined by um, Gideon, a drummer, my songwriting partner more dimensional and fun if we had absolutely the more the merrier yeah, exactly with my computer well nice to meet you it's lovely to meet you as well um i got to hear your record or i got to hear some of your record at least so um, let me just let uh, gabriel in if i can work the mouse um yes i heard the record it's good it's really good thank you um so david wasn't wasn't fibbing it wasn't telling lies good i'm glad um so tim this is gideon how are you i'm good how are you nice to meet you nice to meet you too i was just telling test i've heard most of your record okay and it is exactly what I hoped it would be and exactly what I was promised it would be. So I am very happy. As I'm hoping you two are as well. We're uh, we're having a, yeah amazing days. We just got our versions and our copies and we're 
extremely excited. This is always, you know, it's such a surreal position to be in when you get that piece of, you know, plastic, vinyl, yeah. cardboard that you've been working, you know, for so long. When, it becomes, you... when it becomes tangible and, and the physical product is there, you know, it's not just, oh, we're all committing this to tape and we're all doing we've got this digitally. It's, it actually exists in the real world, yeah. Exactly. You have quite a legacy to uphold being a Bay Area band. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Long history of really great pop punk bands and punk bands and rock bands and everybody from here. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd argue the Bay Area is where pop punk was created. I think you might be right. Because it all, you know, you got like melodic punk rock with Bad Religion and, and um, like No Effects before that. But when Green Day hit, when Green Day hit and they start pushing forward to Gilman, it becomes an acceptable form of music. And that's where, that's sort of the legacy that you're part of now. Yeah, it's a, it's a wild position to be in, especially for me and Gideon's heard me tell this story ad nauseum, but like I was listening to like, uh, was like 10 maybe, I was listening to like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and like pop radio and didn't know anything about rock and roll except for like the Bruce Springsteen record my dad played for me so like I, I didn't have any reference uh, like the American Idiot music video on TV like when I was getting ready for school and I was like what the fuck was that I'm like I'm cool is that? that and that was like my gateway drug and it led me like I was like okay well how did they make that and then you learn about like the 70s and British punk and about you know the skate punk stuff and it's kind of like um you know, I don't know. People say weed is a gateway drug. I think like Green Day was a gateway drug for like a lot of kids like me. So, I, think no, I would I would tend to agree. I mean, I remember um, seeing Green Day when they played a club, a teeny club in Newport, a tiny club in Newport called um, TJ's, and they were sixteen, seventeen, I, th- I believe, it was like their first tour. And they stayed with a friend of mine, and being teenagers, they were bouncing all over downstairs in Kevinwood, and he came down the samurai sword to the cut their heads off, and that made the their biography, but it shows that you know that commitment hits you when you're young and it carries on. And that's, I guess, you you mentioned Bruce Springsteen. There's Springsteen in your record. That's that's undeniable. You can hear Springsteen in there. You can hear like George Thorogood in there, like classic blue collar rock and roll transmuted through pop punk. That's what makes it so good. I personally think so. Thank you. That, that I haven't heard yet. That kind of like storytelling of, of those kind of kinds of bands and artists and rock and roll kind of started as as this way to communicate and I think that we kind of hold that for that legacy. We're excited to talk. I can't wait to get into the record. <laughs> so, so the singles, Canary, it, it, it seems to be like like uh, like a consistent theme with Runaway and Mania and Canary being the first two singles. Um, of this this idea of freedom and, and the need to escape from something like especially the canary caught in the cage in the mines and then you know the title runaway so is that something that's that runs through the rest of the record as well this this idea that we're all trapped in sort of gilded cage and we need to escape from it it's an interesting observation yeah i think uh, the the record has a lot of themes of like duality um right dark um we like to musically sometimes be kind of light and boppy and then the lyrics when you really dive into them you're like whoa that's intense like mania for instance is like i think the best example and getting corrected if i wrong on the record of like a 
really kind of, you know, kind of thing. And then lyrics and you're like, that heavy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really think that the idea of escaping from like yourself is kind of, right. I can get really trapped in here. And if you use music as an outlet to get that stuff out, and then it also helps other people sit through their stuff, I think that's the goal, um, at least with this one. So, Gideon, how yeah. did you test meet and, for, and essentially bring this band together? Because I'm assuming that you're, you guys are the driving force behind this band. Um, good question. Um, I guess so. We're the driving force. You can call we're the uh, troublemakers. That's how we like to... Uh, <laughs> With the troublemakers. Um, so we let's take it back to 2019, early 2019-ish. Um, a mutual friend of ours, a guy named Jacob Light, who ended up producing, recording, and playing on the record. Uh, he owns a studio called Modern Tone Studios in Lafayette, uh, about 30 minutes from my house, 10 minutes from Tessa's house. Um, me and him we have been close friends for years, uh, played in bands together. One day, uh, while I was traveling in New Zealand, uh, he reached out to me, and uh, I used to do a lot of uh, session recordings and play drums for his studio. He reached out to me, and he's like, hey, bro, um, this girl came in through the door. She has a few songs. She wants to record an EP. You need to play on this. This is good. This is not the typical art. Like, this is good. This is special. You need to come meet this person, and you need to listen to these songs. And I'm like, if Jacob says so, I'm going to be there. You know, he's like... Right. And I showed up, Tess was there, she played me the demos, we immediately, uh, you know, uh, we clicked, uh, we had fun, we started working together. So I tracked drums uh, on her EP, and it was a lot of fun, and we had fun in the studios, we had fun outside the studio, um, then COVID happened, and then the world uh, shut down. So whatever plans we made, or whatever, you know, fantasies about playing shows and touring and all that stuff, everything got shelved. And throughout the pandemic, uh, Tess and I started uh, throwing songs back and forth, ideas, demos, parts, whatever. And we realized we we have a system. We have a really streamlined process of writing songs. So, for example, I I can send Tess like a funny recording of me humming or something. 20 minutes later, you have a song. (laughs) Lyrics melodies backups you name it you know it's like some, sometimes i just you know get i want to get weird and just make a noise and see if you know she'll take the the challenge um throughout the pandemic we did that whole process towards the early 2021 mid 2021 we realized okay we have a bunch of songs this could be an album should we hit up jacob again should we like you know see if he you know had enough of us so we reached out to jacob and we went into the studio again to record this entire uh, runaway, basically. Yeah. We had a, batch, a bunch of songs. We went through the songs, decided which ones are good, which ones are BS, chose the ones we felt most pas- passionate about, and tracked it. Towards the end of the recording session, we really realized this is this is not terrible. This is not like this. This isn't actually, you know, a, a decent record. Like this could be something. We started doing a couple of things. A, reach out to, you know, labels companies stuff like that but also you know constructing an actual band like this needs to be on stage um long story short we were lucky enough to gain success in both of those fronts so we partnered with double helix records in the u.s engineer records in the uk they were both agreed to you know work with us on this and put this music out 
internally, we partnered uh, with uh, two additional musicians that actually uh, helped us build the details, testing the details, essentially. Um, so long story short, this is basically what generated this band, what started as a single phone call from a mutual friend, turned into a studio project that got kind of popular, that turned into an actual band that is actually uh, live kicking and working right now. Um, and above all, it's just a lot of fun. So you didn't actually play together properly as a band on stage until after the pandemic. Yep, yep. So was it ever? Was it everything you hoped it would be when you actually played your first show? Because I mean, there must have been a lot of what about this, what about that, going through both your heads at the time. Oh, Tim, I was terrified. Oh my <laughs> god, I, um, I was like, um, hey, what does this guy want to do with me? He's like the best drummer. I've ever seen in my entire life blew me away immediately when we first met and I was like wait he wants to write songs with me what's up like what is this and then like all of a sudden we're in a practice room you know with these guys and we're like we're gonna put on a show not a set but a show we're gonna have little things between songs we're gonna have banter we're gonna have plans like and we got um we got booked on this it's just the most gnarly first show ever like we should have been playing for like two people we should have but like we played at bottom of the hill was our first show um, and we're like, let's go back to where, you know, we first started. Um, and it was this band, Skating Polly, three kids, really nice, um, uh, totally in line with, you know, uh, like all ages crowd. Um, and I remember we loaded in and we're just hanging out backstage and, you know, warming up and being pedantic about our stuff. And I walk outside and there's a huge line. And I'm like, Gideon, come out here. Like, come look at this. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> There's supposed to be nobody here. No. Why is there a huge line? And we, we played second. We didn't even open. Like, it was weird. Um, but it was a really big test for me to see if, like, I still had it. Because I hadn't played on, you know, with a band in 12 years, 15 years. Um, so I was like, okay, can I still do this? Can I still do this? And uh, we did it. And it was fun. And looking back on that show now, I'm like, oh, my God, we played like shit. But it was so much fun. Um. And I'm just happy we get to do it now. Playing live is like my favorite thing in the world. I love playing live. So you take playing live over recording in the studio? Yeah, recording is a different challenge. Um, and another one that I hadn't hadn't done in a long time, like I recorded in my high school band in my friend's basement, and then I go into this beautiful studio with like all these Les Pauls and like huge amps and stuff, and I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. So I had like a lot of uh, like um, imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome. Dude, I don't believe, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, but then through working with Gideon and working with Jacob, like they really helped me develop as a musician. Like, come into like what Gideon says, like test 2.0. Like I'm like a kind of a different different sort of person now, and I really believe in my playing and my writing, and it's just a really big part of that. So, um, I think playing live is the test. Because anybody can go in today with like a computer and like a microwave can make your music for you or AI can make your music for you. But like you go up there with a rock band and no computers and you can deliver a sound similar to the record. Like that's the test. Like I don't care who you are, how good you think you are. If you're going up there with a bunch of live auto tune and shit, like to me, that doesn't signify um, success. I want to be able to match the record. And that's an ambition that we see all the time. Because you, you mentioned before, like AI and anybody can make music, but I would argue that's not the case because AI ha- lacks that one thing that makes great music, and that's soul. That's a, a passion, right? 
both of which you guys have an abundance. And you can hear that the minute you crank, because you, you get, I mean, I, I get the wasp and the MP3s too, and that's it. But even when you crank them, you can hear that there's there's a drive there, there's ambition, there's an energy. And that's why I say it harks back to like Springsteen and George Thorogood and pausing green, you know, early Green Day stuff, because it's got that same sort of bounce behind it, if that makes sense. There's like um, there's like a little fire underneath everything. We, we don't right. really um, we get to the point and, and try to be efficient with our songwriting. And uh, the goal is always to make you feel something, whether it's anxious or mad or crazy or or in love. Like you know, you want to leave a song, you know, with a feeling. And I think most of the record is that. Because that's what music is about. Music is just about raw emotion and capturing it. And you guys do it. So. The record, for the debut live performance at the bottom of the hill, which is kind of like, okay, we all know the bottom of the hill because we've all been the bottom of the hill when we've got the US. But touring, how's that working out for you? Um, so right now we're at a stage where um, we're trying to build relationships with bands, booking agents, all those things. Uh, we uh, we working on our touring schedule for next year. But we want to be smart about it. So we all played shows. We all, you know, experienced these things throughout our career. The last thing that we want to do is go on the road by ourselves as a fairly young band, play a bunch of empty dive bars, lose a lot of money, lose momentum, you know, morale, come back home. Like, "Eh, yeah, maybe it's not working. On the other side, we want to be smart about it. So we're trying to strategically, you know, join forces with another band working with the right booking agency, making sure that when we hit the road for two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever, it's going to be impactful. A, for us, for sure, like as selfish as it may be, first thing, yeah. it needs to it needs to be fun. It needs to be fun. Uh, but second, it needs to make an impact. It needs to move the needle, meaning there has to be enough people that will see you, that will enjoy what you're doing. Like going on the road, killing yourself, coming back home, like... Yeah, that, that didn't really was impactful at all. I just, you know, lost a bunch of money and, you know, got in fights with my band and was hungry most of the time and frustrated. That's not helpful for anyone. But if you're going to be smart about it and look who who's doing something that I want to, you know, be part of or work with, I'm going to reach out to that person, that band, that, uh, you know, agency that would be helpful. And that's how we approach touring. That's how we approach how we, you know, any opportunity, uh, you know, that we're pursuing uh, regarding distributing our music, our name, all those things. Um, so, yeah, right now, again, we're a lean, mean outreach machine, basically, uh, reaching out to anybody who's anybody that we want to work with uh, and trying to schedule, uh, you know, a touring schedule for 2024, basically. So, I mean, that, it's obviously there has to be a return on investment, whether it's, you know, your time, your energy, and your passion is going into something. You have to have a return on that investment. You, exactly. can't, you can't do it anymore. Just throw everything into a van because you're not the minute man. You're not black flag. No bands are these days. You can't just reach out the road and hope someone's going to turn up your shows. At which point I would say <clears throat> there's a booking agency in Germany called Avocado. It's run, oh, of course, yeah. They work with yeah. Comeback Kid and a bunch of hardcore bands, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So it's run by people who were in bands, like 
Matt from Funeral for Friends there, and Mark was there. So if you reach out to them, they'll put you on the right shows in Europe, and they'll make sure that you'll be using your time properly and effectively with the right bands, playing the right shows at the right time. That's who I say to reach out to. Oh, okay. Avocado, cool, cool. Personally speaking. I know those guys, and they won't steal. I heard, I heard only good things about that that agency for sure. They will not rip you off. So now, given that the records just landed in your hands, and I mean you've obviously pushed out to your friends, you picked up, but um, because you you have to. What's the reaction been like so far? Are you happy with how people are reacting to your music? I mean, not just live, but listen to the record as a finished product. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Gideon. Yeah. Go for it. I would say I'm really happy. Um, I've got, you know, like a few old trusted friends that I, you know, demoed to early on. Is this shit? Is this good? What, what do you think? Um, and it, it's funny, a couple people who've seen these songs with Evolve are like, when they're like, yeah. Like, that's what I felt when I first heard it. And now it's like in stereo. Like, it, it's, it's not like anything changed like insanely but it's it's really cool to hear everything polished and um jacob mixed it and and um engineered it and then we had jason livermore from the blasting room do the mastering and the mastering like on vinyl like i just actually listened to the record for the first time all the way through on vinyl and like hearing the needle crack between songs is like so weird I'm like wow like this is a this is living and breathing but Every time someone heard it all the way through, they're like, wow, it felt like a roller coaster. Like from one song to the next, it's like a, a big, a big journey. So I'm really happy with the reception, but you know, also nervous. And that's just part of my nature. Gideon? Yeah. yeah. Um, on my end, so I uh, was really lucky to grow up around um, really honest, uh, straightforward criticism, uh, from family, friends, stuff like that, specifically on music. Uh, what I mean by that is, for example, my older brother, Ishai, who played, who plays in Useless ID, um, uh, throughout the years, like every few years, like, Hey, hey, bro, I started playing in a new band. What do you think of this? He would straight up give it a listen, look at me in the eye, and he's like, This is a pile of shite, you know? <laughs> and, uh, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. Like he's not holding back. And so goes for a bunch of my friends and people I love. And I appreciate that because if people weren't going to tell you your shit, how on earth are you going to stop being shit, you know? Um, so when I got the masters or the, the early mixes even of uh, this record, like I reached out to, you know, a bunch of my friends and, and my brother and all these people that, 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 you know, I'm really fortunate to have in my life. I played the songs and not the immediate response because those people actually listen. They aren't looking to tap on my ego. But after listening to the song, like a couple of songs, they're like, this is good. This, this is different. This is like a good mixture of everything that's good in punk rock, pop punk, whatever. Well constructed, well written. Lyrics are sophisticated. You know, people people have a nose for bullshit. When you listen to a song and you're like, I know the next line because you're really chasing rhymes and not necessarily chasing storytelling. We're trying to be storytellers. So that's something, you know, a feedback that I received from people. The mix and the, the audio itself sounds really good as well, uh, I've been told. Um, overall feedback is positive. I know people are actually going for a run or going to do grocery shopping and listen to the record. You know, when I'm like, okay, okay, I don't need to point a gun to your head to listen to this. You're actually doing this without getting paid. This is sick, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to 
see what people I don't know think about this record. You know, people uh, would, would listen to it on the on their you know daily basis kind of stuff. Well, one thing you don't have to remember is most critics. I'm speaking as a jaded old music hack myself. Most critics will criticize you because they can't. Right? See, critics are always the people who can't do something, and they'll say, "Well, well this is this sucks." Don't pay any attention to the people who listen to it on the other platforms. That they're the people who matter. The people are going to come and see you because critics aren't going to come see you. We're too old and we're too jaded. We don't give a shit about that. So, <clears throat> personally speaking, it's the people who come and see you that matter. Um, as I said, I think it's, it's a really good record. And I'll, Yay. I was very impressed. And I'm old, so I'm not, I'm not impressed easily anymore. <clears throat> that said, influences. I mean, Tess has talked about her influences, but there's more than just the notable bands I've already mentioned. There's this. There's... Which bands have driven you to become the person you are and the musicians you are? The people you are, the musicians you are. Question. Um, I have a very wide range. I love pop music um, and I love rock and roll. Um, I am a, a big Elvis nerd. Um, and uh, I think there was something about him that really defines kind of how I interact with people, which is like the kindness and the giving the shirt off your back to a fan. Or, you know, um, I think I gave a kid my shoelace one time at a gig because they're like, hey, I make bracelets out of uh, Doc Martin's shoelaces. Will you? And I was like, fuck yeah, kid, I can't walk now. But yeah, <laughs> like, um, I think just like the the notion that people who listen to your music become part of it um, is a big thing I took away from Elvis. And then also just looking back at people like Frank Sinatra, like I have his, uh, his like mugshot back here. Um, That's like, wrong Sinatra and, and Dean Martin and all, this, all the old style crooners. Those guys rule. The um the way that they phrase things and they pull lyrics out so that there's emphasis on certain words. Um, and I remember like one of the first women uh, in rock and roll that I ever listened to was like Pat Benatar, and the way she hit these high notes with such clarity and purity. Like there's it, stuff like that in there. But then like the some of the first bands I ever listened to, like obviously Green Day, but like past that, like Newfound Glory, I, I was like, wow, these guitars are um like doing triplets. I got to learn how to do that. Like what is that? Um, and then even popular bands like Midtown is a band that Gay and I both love. Like those guys just really write good songs, and the lyrics are not predictable, and you can't um, you can't put a pin in the real emotion. Right. Um, so from up until you know, I don't know, someone like Lady Gaga. It's like these people are connecting on a really deep level, and that's what I want to do. I don't want to sit on the surface. I don't want to write something that's viral. I don't want to write something that someone's going to throw in the bin after they listen to it. I want a song that's going to stick. Um, and every musician that I admire has a certain quality that connects with the emotion. So for me, that's, that's where influence comes from. But like when people ask me about my singing, it's like, I like R&B. Like I listen to The Weeknd and I track with runs that way. Like I'm not sitting there, you know, uh, listening to minor threat vocal techniques, but I'm listening to minor threat for feeling, you know? Um, so it's that weird, like we have this kind of R and B pop vocal on some stuff that people are like, "I'm sorry, what? <laughs> this is a punk rock record. Why are you doing this, you know, acrobatic thing?" But I think that's what kind of makes us unique. So that's that's me, I guess. But at the same time, you know, vocally, there's a sort of almost a raw emotion that like Janis Joplin has as well, because it brings that old style rock and roll into it and just 
hits you for six because it's all about that, the raw emotion that you capture in the music, I guess. And that's what's in there as well. So, Gideon, the same question. So, yeah. Um, so for me, style-wise, it's the typical, you know, typical typical uh, suspects. It's the Bad Religions and the Rise Against and, uh, you know, all those bands. Um, I, I'm really passionate about um, the actual the lyrics and the melodies uh, of songs. Those are the things that draw you in. Like, the, the, the melody will get you hooked and the lyrics will get you to think. Um, in, in my experience, like I'm a, I'll give you an example. I'm a big, I have a crazy sweet tooth. Like if I open a box of chocolates, step away, like I'm going to devour the whole thing <laughs> and I won't stop until I feel bad. And I like to be the same, same way with music. So when I, uh, come across like a song that really inspires me, that is really powerful. And it could be like, again, like a hardcore song or a punk song or, a, you know, a pop song or whatever. Again. Step, step away, move away, because I'm going to listen to that song on repeat like a crazy person, and that annoys everybody around me, but I don't give two shits, because, you know, it's <laughs> what I do. But I'm 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 really driven by, you know, writing music that will get people that feeling, you know? And when I get that feeling uh, from a song, a new artist or an old artist, that I get consumed by listening to that music over and over and over again, like, that, that is drives massive inspiration for me. And so that's on, like, songwriting and listening to music and all that but when you go to see a show and you see a band that that's done their homework like they have a set the songs are working together the band is working together the front band captures you without dropping f-bombs without making like you know like pee pee poo poo jokes stuff like that when they actually have something to say something to educate something that will get you to think that is really inspiring and really makes me want to feel like I want to do that. Not necessarily be a front man or, you know, be the singer in the band, but like drive that feeling towards people. Um, and again, some of the bands that, that do it really well is obviously Bad Religion, uh, Jimmy Eat World do it really well. Uh, combining drive, energy, punching music, playing it well, but also telling a story, having strong melodies, making sure you leave the room. And even though your ears are ringing, you can hum the music, you know, because it gets stuck in your head. So I think it's a lethal combo of having uh, those elements uh, combined. Okay, I'm going to put you both on the spot now. So if you, had, if you had to choose one record, one song off the record, one song to play to someone to say, this is what we do. Well, I'll put in the whole record, just one song. Which song would it be and why? I'll let us go first. I was going to do the same thing to you. You always do this to me. Um, <laughs> me, I think it's Canary because um, it, we picked it for the first single for a reason because it's like the Tess and Gideon baby. Like um, it was the first, I think it was one of the first songs we ever wrote together. And it really combines like, all of our minutiae that you just heard, like the stuff that's important to all of us lives in that song. Like the lyrics are really um, punchy and profound and literary. And that's important to me. And the, the melody drives and, and it's got an interesting chord progression that, you know, would have been foreign to me as a writer, but comes really naturally to Gideon. Um, the drums are insanely tight and the fills are really, really precise. And all of the guitars kind of chug along and it's just a driving mean song um and then we really dive into it it's something that really kind of pulls on your heart like it's a universal feeling of escaping doom or death or escaping a bad situation in your life so 
Um, it's got all these kind of little Easter eggs in the lyrics that is something for me as like a word person is like, gotta have it. Um, but musically, after you hear that song, it's like two minutes and 20 seconds. It's like a punch in the face, not like a slap on the wrist. It's, it's going to get you. So I'd say Canary is the one, uh, but, but I've got some others. I'll let Gideon know. Um, in my book, again, and I'm kind of debating between two, but I think I'm going to go with uh, Saint of Purgatory. Um it's, I think, Tess, keep me honest here, I think it's the last song we wrote for the record. Um, it's really dark. It has a lot of elements from bands I really love. It's in drop D, so the guitar tuning is, like, lower, because uh, it made made more sense for the song, which is, again, immediately, like, differentiated a little bit from the rest of the record. It has all the elements that I talked about. Like, it's heavy, it's still driving, it's, it still has a very hooky melody. But when you listen to the lyrics, you're like, this is dark. And it's not necessarily a, a super per- personal, you know, story that you can relate to. It's more of a something that happened in history and Tess can elaborate on that. But it's more of a, you know, uh, like watching a, a documentary in a way. Uh, but a good documentary, an interesting one that will immediately will make you go like, what is this song about? Like, I need to go on Wikipedia. I need to go to history books. I need to like learn about this case, this incident that happened. Like they referenced a bunch of stuff that happened in history that are extreme and they're you know dark i want to check that out um and again it dry it, it moves from faster up tempo parts slower parts so you can go from you know you can mosh to it but you can also like break down and it's just a fun song uh has a lot of fun elements um yeah i love playing it so we're in the final stretch now why should somebody buy your debut record Somebody you've never met. If you you go up to the bar, they're talking to you. You know, you just introduce them. Why would why? How would you convince somebody to check out your record if they knew nothing about you? Well, we're really good looking. So. <laughs> well, I'm not going to argue with that. So that's very important. <laughs> um, I would say that um, we really mean it. Um, nothing about this band that is inauthentic um we're not out here wearing a bunch of crazy stuff uh we're not out here preaching about things that don't mean anything or don't matter we're not trying to convince you to change your mind about your beliefs what we're trying to do is give you a good song and leave you with something that is going to be part of your life um and be the soundtrack to your day whether you're stuck in traffic or you're feeding your baby or you're out at a bar getting drunk like we want these songs to be part of you um and we're the kind of band that isn't uh isn't going to pull punches or talk shit or say we're going to be the biggest band in the world or any of that we just want to make good music and play well and when you come to our live show you're going to have a great time so um we hope to see you and meet you and uh, if you buy this record just know that it's um it's it's making an impact on the people who made it. Like none of this is lost on us. Anybody who puts down their hard-earned money today, you know, in the world is a very hard place, and it's hard to make money and keep money. And and none of this is lost. Like we appreciate it. And every time you listen or share something or whatever, like it means so much. So yeah, we're a band that gives a fuck about the listeners. So if you'd like blue color, rock and roll all the way. That's that's it. For you, and uh, I just hope that uh, it makes people smile and dance and uh, think 
you're one of those people who needs an emotional connection to your your music and kind of feel like that's lacking, you know, pick up our record, see what you think. Well, guys, really, thank you for your time tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. And the record is effing great. So we'll leave it at that. And when you make it over to the UK, uh, even this Jade will hack and get out and come see you. There you go. That's awesome. Can't wait to see you and meet you and um, all of our friends in the UK. Just one note here is um, you can order the record from Engineer Records and it'll be shipped to you on release day. So um, that's the the UK um, brand. And for people in the US, it's available from Hello Merch and Double Helix Records. You can follow us on Instagram. I'll tell you the details. We're always posting a bunch of weird stuff. So you can come laugh with us. And, uh... Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Okay. That was testing the details, talking about their new album, Runaway, well, their debut album, Runaway, which has just been released by Engineer Records and Punk Rock, Life, the Universe, and everything in between. Anyway, next up is one of my favorite people to interview ever, Pete Starr from Scream, talking about his band's comeback record comeback record new record whatever kind of record it is um dc special which has just been published published sorry released by discord records um pizza heck of a good guy one of the true hardcore stalwarts and one of the greatest guys to ever come out the punk rock scene so anyway um that's enough about of me waxing lyrical about pete and scream um so without further ado yeah Here's Pete Style talking about Scream's new record, DC Special, punk rock, touring, and everything else that he, we can possibly talk about. It's life, the universe, and everything, and punk rock according to Pete Style. So, enjoy. Hello, Pete. How are you? Hey. How are you, Pete? I'm doing good, Tim. We spoke a long time ago. Um... About one <laughs> No, I'm sure my age too, but I was going to say, I saw you guys play back in 1989 when you played Cardiff at the Transport Club. Oh, okay. 1990, so, huh? Who were we playing with? God, that's, was it the Joyce McKinney experience, I think? Maybe? I, I uh, don't recall. No, I, I, my, my memory is fried, but it was one of those definitive shows where you just see a band hit the stage and they go from beginning to end. And it, it's one of those formative shows where it makes, it changes your idea of what punk rock can be. And I guess that's what Scream always did for me, you know, because you go from still screaming to fumble. And by that time, you're almost a completely different band. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, you know, the energy changed in the band when Dave Grohl joined the band. It's different drummer, different style. Hmm. So, um, so the music changed a little bit, you know, and we evolved as as musicians and and um, you know, as a band. Um, so that's not unusual, really. No. But I mean, you, you want those bands that made progression, not seem like a dirty word in punk rock. Because everybody at the time, everybody in punk rock was saying, we want it fast, we want it fast, we want it fast. But when you changed, it, what 
it didn't matter because you, yes, you're the same band, and but the songs were different. They were more complex, but they had the same energy, the same sort of upbeat enthusiasm, and the same dedication to what you always had. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, that's been very important to us all along. And really why we're there is to communicate our music and our lyrics and what we're about and, and have fun. And it, it, you know, and, and to share that experience on stage with the people that come to see us. And it's kind of a back and forth, you know, we have a, uh, kind of in DC, you know, is known for go-go music, which has this call and response, uh, part of the music where, the band and the audience become one by kind of sharing the experience by talking about where they're from and you know so I kind of feel the same way and as far as our music you know we're like singing and screaming at you and and then people are kind of screaming and singing back at us so it it turns into a collaboration and so I mean I, I think it's I think it's like you can't really I can't really experience the show unless I'm sharing what we're about and sharing it with the people that are there and becoming like, you know, kind of one thing, you know, I think that's the whole point. It's, I think it's really important for us as a band to, to communicate and, and, and inspire and, and have fun, you know? Right. I mean, I mean, that's why, that's what, that's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a music nerd and, been seeing bands since I was a little kid and my, the, there's nothing that gives me greater joy than going to see musicians and bands that, that I've never seen before or that just do something that just blows me away that turns me on and I want to tell my friends about it and it's kind of my raison de terre in some ways you know um, we're all trying to figure out why we're here <laughs> sometimes in those in those in those in those at those shows it's your community in a way too and then and then and then that's how you kind of find yourself and, 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 you know, by finding yourself in those moments and being yourself, it kind of helps you with your day to day life and, you know, the things that your struggles in life and just living life, it helps you ground yourself, you know? Cause I mean, you, you just said you, you're, you're a music nerd and that was kind of ties into one of the questions I was going to ask, because when you were playing with Wool, you cut you there was a cover song you did and i went holy shit somebody else is covering this band and it was the witch by the sonics i was like it just proves this idea that punk rock was a very fluid thing that came from you know like the late 60s it's formed by the garage bands and it, it makes that progression because you took that song and it still sounded harder and faster than the sonics made it sound it was a hard fast song to begin with you know it was probably it was probably the song. And this was you said this was with Wool. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah. That's that's been a band, a big band for me and my brother for years. And you know, I I think you may know from other you know maybe other interviews did or maybe we talked about before. But my you know my dad managed rock bands in the mid '60s, and that's really where my brother and I were really first exposed to live music was going to shows with my dad and it was a band that used to play songs like like Gloria and you know which which was you know Gloria was like the smells like teen spirit of the day or the uh you know I guess today it'd be more like the white stripes song but uh 
Um, you know that we kind of come from that garage punk kind of era of of music, and 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 we learned through music and got into music through that. You know, there was these back then. It was really popular to have uh, compilation records, so uh, it was you know, and maybe that was because it was harder to share music back then. So local radio stations would put together collections of the, all the you know hot songs on the regional radio stations and and um you know garage punk was what was happening in the mid 60s you know and so that's you know sonics is kind of from that genre which we learned about listening to radio stations in dc and scream one of the first songs scream learned as a band you know we, we learned cover songs uh like the sonics um strict nine or he's awaiting. Um, and then, you know, drawing from those songs, we kind of learned how to write songs ourselves and then, you know, started to create our own thing. Is this new record, DC Special, it just sounds... It's, it, I'm, I'm going to blow smoke if you ask, because it's fucking great. It's the record I've wanted to hear for 30 years from Scream, because it sounds like a continuation of what you took from Scream, <laughs> took it to war... And then it's, it's, it's like the next step of that journey. Do you know what I mean? Because Wool became, mm-hmm. Wool was everything Scream stopped being when after Fumble. And it just sounds like a natural progression. You've taken those, those DC hardcore roots and you've made a rock and roll record that's got those roots, but it's not strictly a hardcore record. It's not a punk rock record. It's not a rock and roll record. It's not a funk record. It's not a go-go record. It's got elements of all of your disparate influences in one single album. Yeah, well, I mean, we've never really, you know, I don't, we've never, I mean, we're not like a lot of other bands from in, at the, in, the, in the scene that we're part of, that we're like proud to be a part of, which is the hardcore scene. But we're, uh, you know, I think because of our influences and where what we draw from, like I was just talking about, yeah. we, we know, we have a lot of influences that shaped our band before punk rock, whether it be southern rock music or or soul or parliament, funkadelic, you know, jazz fusion music, like the 11th House and stuff like that. We were all into that music before we became punkers, you know. And, um, you know, for us, punk is about not conforming, about being an individual and 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 so we tried to be ourselves in our community and in our neighborhood and kind of fuck shit up a little bit and 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 you know as 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 young punkers do and and, and um but those influences what shaped our band you know and 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 then that becomes turns into uh, you know we we were able to kind of make our own sound a little bit um drawing from all that and then we put it all together and, and then, you know, put it on stage when we play. Yeah, because it's just like when you hear Francis' guitar, you know it's Francis' guitar. When you hear you sing, you know it's you. There is no other band that sounds like There's screaming. no – thank you. Well, I, that's – there's no greater compliment because I'm, I'm you know, like I said, I'm music freak and, you know, I, certain artists, I know I can hear one note and I know who it is, you know what I yeah. mean? So – uh, if you're, you know, that, that, you know, like, like Shalala, DC special Shalala, the opening song, you know, that, like, that is such um, a good tune. It's just like a clarion call to 
where you're from and <laughs> who you are. And it's just like automatically you know the direction the band and the record are going in from the minute that song kicks in, literally the first 10, 20 seconds. Oh, but yeah, and you know, I mean, it's a good, it's a good, it's got a little bit of buzzcocks in there, and uh, it's got Kent Stacks playing drums, and, and and he's holding down the beat, and then you know, it's got some shalalas in there, which yeah, I think about when we used to go over Enoch's house when we were young, first starting out, and his mom be playing records like Al Green and stuff like that, and that's where that that all that comes from, you know. Because I, I was going to ask you about Kent because it's hideously upsetting. And you, you, I, mean, I can't even begin to imagine how you as a band dealt with it, how his family are dealing with when it. So has it made this record more personal, more important, given Kent's passing? Yeah, I mean, it, it just reinforces our... Um, the family that we are and you know it drew us really close together in 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 supporting him through his illness and you know we hope that he would battle through and come out the other end so we could tour on this record unfortunately it didn't work out that way it really sucks and and um and you know he was battling right up until the end and and we, that was always our goal even when we, we went we just went and played in Europe this past summer and we would have brought him with us even if he couldn't play just so he could, we could hang and he could travel with this and, you know, sit in and play percussion or whatnot, but he was just too weak to do it. But, um, you know, some of the politics that we touch on this record, you know, kind of just amplified by having to help him and support him, um, through this, through this illness and the fact that you know, him and his family have to go online and raise money to help pay for his health care, to help pay for living costs, help pay for rent, help pay for food or whatnot, you know, because to the, and, and, you know, all of us, you know, having to pay for, our, for our, you know, financial things that these burdens that really the government should help us with, you know, and, and um, it's just that that makes you angry, and 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 it kind of illuminates some of the other politics that we address in in the in the songs that we put on this record. I mean, I, I know that that's a difficult question to answer, but I, you know, I hate to ask it, but no, you know, I mean, it's very surreal to be, you know, he and a lot, um, you know, I, I get that. I'm glad that you asked because I yeah. want to talk about Ken. I want to. I want to stay close to Kent, and also to, um, you know, highlight how great of a drummer he he was. And this, and and a lot of people ask, is he on the record? You know, because it took so damn long for us to make the record, and for it to come out. <laughs> but yeah, he's the, he's the core drummer on this record. There are a lot of guests on the record, but the you know, like there's kind of, you know, two parts to this pro to this complete picture of the record because you know we kind of we wanted to really illuminate the concept of the record through the vinyl because that's what's closest to our hearts is is having a, a record and making a record and it's a piece of vinyl wax hot wax goes on your turntable so he's the core of that record you know i think 
at least on the vinyl, I think there's only two songs that where he's not playing drums. Um, oh no, three. There's three songs. There's three songs where each have a different drummer on it, but there's twelve songs on the record, so nine of them have Kent. So the core yeah. of the record is Kent Stacks, and um, so he's definitely a part of this record, and and we want to celebrate his life by getting out there and playing playing it now um because that's exactly what he would do he played music at his local with his buds and his little and his bands that he was in right up until he couldn't you know have until he didn't have the strength to like stand up anymore right i mean thank you for asking about him no he was an integral part of the band you know with those like still screaming in this side of those records are a formative part of my yeah and DC and, you know? you know, people that are and people that are fans of Kent Stacks and fans of Scream, they should definitely check out his other band, his bands, uh, the Suspects, Fire United. And, you know, there's 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 a body of work out there that's that's worth digging into. So Kent I mean, Stacks. With with members of the band, how how does Graham, sorry, Giz end up? With you guys, I, mean, I know I know Giz back when he was with the Desecrators, so he's always kind of been great. I mean, who doesn't know Giz? I don't, <laughs> everybody I introduced him to, he, he's already met them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, right," you know. So like, uh, he's been in a ton of bands, and I guess the same way a lot of people, we were on on tour. Uh, um, I was working for the Foo Fighters at the time as an assistant, and my brother was playing with them, and and the Foo Fighters were playing with the Prodigy, and that's how we met him basically by doing shows together. And um, Franz and and Giz uh, kept in touch over the years, and then you know I've been talking about playing together, and and um, became friends, and we were gonna. Uh, we were supposed to come over to play in the uh, maybe Rebe- Rebellion Fest, I think, in 2019. There was talk of it. And then, and Giz was going to do that with us. And then we were going to go do some other shows in Europe. And, the, you know, the pandemic put that to a stop, just like a lot of things. And so when, after when we got an opportunity to, to get back out there and play, and, um, you know, we wanted to kind of, complete that original idea and, and, and follow through with it. And that, so now here we are and it's a real um, honor and pleasure to play with him. Cause it's just, it's just, it seemed kind of surreal just seeing all of a sudden Giz puts his post up. Oh, this is me playing with Scream. I'm like, yeah, there's no sort of forewarning. All of a sudden Giz is part of Scream. It's just <laughs> fantastic to see. You know, well, I mean, you know, we've always had a, uh, um, I think we always have had a special relationship with with uh, UK hardcore scene, and and you know we we're very fortunate to uh, come over there in the late '80s and 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 make you know re- record part of banging the drum at at Southern Studios in London, and then getting to know that family of people through John Loder's you know circle. That was a that was working there. We met, uh, made friends that we still have today. That um, you know we cherish and that, and that you know introduced us to their communities. And so you know we 
you know, that's how we hooked up with the subhumans. And we ended up touring the U.S. with the subhumans a bit. That's how, you know, know Dick Lucas and Culture Shock and all those guys. And then we, you know, we, and, and, you know, strangely enough, I mean, Giz said he was part of that Peterborough crew that came to see us back in the day. And, you know, I, I remember we were so blown away and that there was like, actually those dudes in Peterborough rented a coach and came to one of the shows like in a coach there was so many of them and you know we played with all these great bands from coventry and nottingham area um you know and so and you know uh like the dudes from visions of change you know and and we we just ran into lee who was um um in europe recently and so it's you know we have those relationships still carry on with you know it's it's just, it's just well i mean you, you talked earlier like said dc special to so you're on. you're in wales right right so yeah and um, you know back then we played with that band shrapnel the brothers from shrapnel brothers you know they're from, they're from like literally 10 miles up the road from me from uh port albert neathway because i yeah. know you guys played you played tj's as well didn't you in newport i think so uh-huh so i mean you you, you were always we also we also played a festival up on Timbaland Mountain. I, that I didn't know that. But, so I mean, you guys were literally everywhere. You just just <laughs> road in the eighties. You know, just, just no way to escape a scream show, which nobody wanted. Yeah. So it's not surprising to me because, like, that we you know ended up uh, you know that Giz is playing in the yeah. band. In fact, oh my god, that. Um, Remember that band, Kings of Oblivion? Vaguely. Yeah, there. I, um, I mean, this this might sound horrible, but I I can't. This was I can't. I'm sorry to say I can't recall the guy's name. I I feel like his name was Ian, and he was uh, playing in that band, and he was. Um, bass player he was going to come over and play with us at one point but he got he tried and we you know we invited him over to play with us and uh he got stopped at the he didn't make it through immigration and I, we never even met the dude but <laughs> it's kind of weird <laughs> but uh, i'm gonna have to make a note of of getting that story straight and tracking that dude down is that you do why did dc special take so long to record because you said he was one of those records that's taken a long time and one thing yeah, well, it's, 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 it's a valid question uh it um i mean we recorded the record i guess it was september mm-hmm. of 2021 and then right after we finished recording the re- oh sorry i didn't realize huh? i had my, <laughs> yeah, my hands in front of the camera um Right after we recorded the record, the studio was shut down, which which was actually kind of the thing that, uh, you know, created some urgency for us to get in, in there and finally complete this idea that we've been kind of working on for a while. And then Don Zentero moved back to the original studio, which is in a basement at his home. And um, but he had to, he was starting over and had and uh, with new equipment. 
totally new setup and it took months for him to get it dialed in and wired up and in the meantime we were starting to we started actually Ian suggested that we maybe go mix somewhere else because he wasn't sure if it was going to come together so eventually we started mixing elsewhere but you know and like as you know this was a record done through Kickstarter so it was self-funded Discord came on board after we started the project so we initially got the you know funded the project through kickstarter and you know we're now just getting ready to finally send out the records this week so it's it's been a long journey um but you know it is paid for it is you know done we did it ourselves so it, it takes a little bit longer and then you know we had some even, we even did some additional recording just a few months ago. We added a couple more songs. We got Scott Garrett and, and some more who played drums with us on this past, this European trip we did this past summer. And so we got some other people on the record collaborating with us that we wanted to. He was part of the original concept of the record, but wasn't able to play with us when we started when we started recording so we're glad we got a couple more songs with him on it and amanda mckay and some other people that we and quickly mixed and now they're part of the um 18 songs that make up the dc special record project it's it's weird you said there's gonna be 12 songs on the vinyl there's 18 songs on the digital in total so are you planning to release the other six songs on vinyl yep. at some point as, as, as an additional EP or is it just going to be 12 songs? I mean, if, 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 uh, that would be great if we could do that. If, 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 I guess it really, Discord does things in a very methodical and, 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 and practical way. And then if, if the record recoups, I guess, and, yeah. or if there's enough demand for it, I'm sure they'd be interested in doing something like that. I mean, I, oh, I can't see I how the so. record's not going to recoup at this point. You know, f- just from the fact that we're still here, all the guys who originally came to see him, we're still going to buy the record. You know what I mean? It's still going to be, we're buying it. <laughs> it's just, so I don't I see how so. I hope so. Thank you very much. Well, it is, it, you know. Yeah, it, I hope so. Because, be, uh, you know, music has become, I mean, music has become very disposable. I mean, um, so I do hope people support bands like us and, and buy their records and, and, um, you know, I, I, you know, I feel it's vital to our, 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 our culture and it's, and it's vital to, to bands that are trying to like, just realize their dreams and their visions of things, let alone try to make a living at it. So, I mean, but yeah, so it, thank you for that. No, dude, it, it is. I just thank you for making the record. You know what I mean? It's put a, it's put a mile wide smile on my face all week. I've been sad here. You know, like last last month, I got I, I lose my job. But that's well, not- you know, it's interesting. I I I I I, I saw on um, a band recently post something online that they were kind of packing it up for a while because they just didn't feel like the climate the, the music business climate was supportive of of music and it's it's true i mean in, in some countries like i can i can name sweden as one where the where the government actually subsidizes 
local artists and bands and stuff, which which, re, which helps grow their culture and grow their community and grow thought and thinking and and, and um, but in this you know, like capitalist kind of world we live in, that those kind of investments in art and in local communities is is rare and um so i think this band made a very good point about the whole streaming thing which is how a lot of bands you know they're you know people that are still in the vinyl buy the vinyl but most music's just can consume digitally online and it's being streamed and just and and people are just now getting used to it for being free Though, as um, this band pointed out, people are more than happy to pay $5 for a cup of coffee. But when it comes to like buying a song or something, they, you know, they might think not want to pay that. <laughs> so it just to equate that, if you think how much goes into a fucking song versus a cup of coffee. Now, I know that somebody picked those beans somewhere along the way, but, but you get my point. <laughs> but yeah, but it's, it's insane. Because, uh, the music, I said, it's become a disposable commodity. But is, do you see that as being like a generational thing or, or a business thing? Like a deliberate business model to price everybody but the corporations out of the music industry? Because if it, if they're going to pay you like, what is it, 0.00001 cents per stream of your song, how the fuck are you going to keep making music and eventually... They're going to run out of music too. No, it's, a, it's it, you know, like it, like you know, was I think Sham sixty nine said it was a rip off, you know. Yeah, but it fucking is. That's what it is. So, I don't know. It's it's been great being a part of the Bandcamp thing, but now that's getting bought apparently by some corporate entity that's probably going to change its it's the way it pays out bands. So hopefully, some other new thing will rear its head and give us an avenue. But it just seems to be getting harder and harder. Which 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 also makes it you know which like I said makes music less valuable in some ways you know like I feel I I guess maybe I'm surprised sound like some old fucker but um, you know music was such a important part of my life and 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 my upbringing and my hangout and you know. Um, and buying records and trading records and trading music was really important in, in my growth as an adolescent. I think it is to everybody. I mean, what price are at the end of the day? Because you, you got like shit like ChatGBT and AI coming in and creating music and creating literature and creating. Do we value yeah. the human experience anymore? Do we value, you know, that part of our soul or art? I think people, I think people, people want that and, and value it. It's just the uh, opportunities are just getting smaller. And then, you know, I guess you could say there's more bands than ever out there. But, you know, um, I think, you know, people that are trying to, to make art and, and, and create a conversation with their music create movement mass movements right um you know <laughs> you know uh it, it, it that gets harder though I, I i you know i am encouraged when i see um you know people hit me up online like what are the lyrics of that song or whatnot and i see it in my friend's kids that that when they you know i'm not a i don't i don't i don't i'm not into spotify really i mean it's convenient but i don't subscribe to 
to them. But I noticed that you know Spotify does have a feature where people can read the lyrics along with the song, and I see that most um, you know people kids like to do that. So right, um, it you know so I, I don't know. We got to keep fighting for for our rights and as as artists and as people. So, how has the re- reaction to the record been like so far? Did the reaction to DC Special has it surprised you? Is it because, dude, it's fucking I mean, I, I haven't really, to be him. honest with you, I haven't gotten much reaction to it. People seem to really love the first single, and I, but after that, I haven't heard much. We just finally got to play some shows um, with Soul Side. That, and we're in the middle of this, like, we just took a break. We just did the West Coast last week, and we played our first shows, and it was our first opportunity to play the some of the songs off the new record, and we're playing songs that people don't know because uh, some of the songs hadn't been released yet. Uh, the, uh, people seem to be responding, fun, playing new songs that, you know, because people don't, you know, kind of just checking it out and listening to it, and then, absorbing it and so we i feel like really good about things i haven't seen a review of the record yet um but that will come and um i'm I'm looking forward to that i mean so yeah i don't know we'll see how it goes it is what i love literally you know because it's it's just a continuation of wool and scream and everything that you we're doing with Scream, and then you do with Warm. It's like combined into one just wonderful rock and roll record. <laughs> and it's, it's just, yeah. So, when you put the band back together in 2009, was it difficult? Were there any bridges you had to sort of build personally, or did, was it just like a natural thing saying, you know, now it's time. It's the right time to do this. Oh, yeah. There's no, no bridges had to be rebuilt i mean i know we've we've had our troubles like like a lot of bands and friends that stick together for 30 40 years um but now nah, we love we're a family and we love each other and and um take we always took every opportunity to continue playing it's just mostly logistical kind of things and and finances that kept us from doing stuff more regularly i mean you know I, I, my, my, with enoch Skeeter and, and, and Kent on the East Coast, my brother on the West Coast, and I'm, you know, I got into some other bands that, and, 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 uh, but mostly it's just everybody raising families. I mean, that's why Kent left the band initially and Dave joined was because Kent, you know, wanted to like step back and raise a family and, and that's what he did and which, which was the right thing to do. And, and, um, we continued on until we kind of ran its, ran it, that kind of ran its course. And um, then we, then Franz and I did wool, and then I was been in some other, been in some other bands, close but night, we would yeah, always get night. to get, we would always get, yeah, yeah, we would always get together and play around the holidays because we, you know, our, all our folks still live in a DC area, so you know, I think in two thousand nine, um, we. Uh, we had an opportunity to, we we had some a group of songs Franz and I had been working on and um we I think, I think there was a show or something that we were offered that 
that you know we kind of used as a linchpin to get together on the on the west coast and do the recording that we that ended up being complete control sessions uh, which came out on side one dummy and then we started playing a little bit more actively um you know from then till till you know till now well pete i just wanted to say you know i, I think i've from the run of questions I have to ask you, but I just want to say thank you, man. It's been an absolute honor and an absolute pleasure to speak to you tonight. Oh man, well, it's it's. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and help, oh, you know, help, help me uh, promote our record and 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 get it out there. So, um, and I, I um, I hope we can get back over there and play this spring and or summer, and uh, we'll we'll hook up and uh, have a pint. Oh, you know it, brother. You know it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Peter. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And if you if you have any other questions, if there's something you want to ask me about, please hit me up, and I'll be more than happy to get back in touch with you. And on that, and I, I just wanted to, um, you know, we're we're we still have some shows coming up with uh, Soulside in December on the on the East Coast. And that's that's a short trip from from London now. And there's a, there's this air there's this airline called Play <laughs> that flies into DC. I think you can get a flight for about two hundred quid. So um, if I, but, if I had the money, if I had the money, I'd already be at those East Coast shows. They'd already be booked. Nah, so I'm, I'm but, sorry, I don't. I, I'm dude, just no, saying. no, no, don't, don't you don't don't, don't you? <laughs> when you hit London, we're fucking there. We are there. Well, you know, it, it's I I hear you, but it's definitely. Hard for us to to get over there too because there's there's four of five. Well, four, luckily we you know Giz is playing with us, so we got a place to stay. So at least we got we got an in now. Yeah, just don't ask <laughs> him to make the tea. Okay, thanks for that tip, <laughs> Pete. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, brother. I get. I, I guess you and I guess you and I won't be asking him for any tips on hair. Oh no! And either. Well, no, no, you know, I, I, I think people will be cool, be sexy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no. It's, yeah, that, yeah. it's that testosterone look. We've got it down, brother. We got it down. But I, li- I like Giz got that classic, uh, spiky, spiky uh, hair. I, I don't know. You know, it seems to be kind of indigenous in there in a <laughs> UK <laughs> punk rock. <laughs> dude, the dude never ages either. He still looks the same as he did twenty years ago. It's just. It's ridiculous. I have no well, idea. He, he definitely is a killer guitar player and, and uh, he's a great hang. So we're, we're really stoked to be playing with him right now. And um, yeah, so we'll be we'll be in the UK at some point in 2024 for sure. So we'll see uh, y'all then. I will be at that show. Yeah, okay. Thank you for your time, man. It's been I want to see you up front. <laughs> I'll, I'll get my Zimmer frame up. I'll take I'll abandon the walking sticks with me there. Back, back, be buggered like. Oh, All right, well, going. yeah, just take it easy, and but you know. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm kidding, man. It's, it, it, we all get sciatic because we get old, and it's just part. But you got to tell us if you run into those sh- shrapnel brothers, they they got to come out. Oh, they'll definitely. Be there. I, I think it, the, the contingent from down our way will be another coach. So it'd be like the Peterborough days all over again. We just all jump into a coach and come on down and see you. All right, that would be awesome. I'd love that. <laughs> oh, you take, right. take it easy, Pete. Thanks so much, brother. You got it, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's about it for this time, folks. Hope you enjoyed listening to Pete, Aaron, and Tess and Details talk about their albums and punk rock and everything else in between. 
and uh, we'll catch you next time. So for now, it's uh, ta-ta.